Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 43. It's a short psalm, only five verses. The book of Psalms was the ancient hymn book of the Jewish faith. Uh, There are 150 of them. Some of the Psalms were meant to be sung. We don't have the musical notes to them, but we do have the lyrics. Some of them were meant to be simply recited in worship, either by an individual or by a group, or by both an individual and a group in responsive readings. And so the book of Psalms is very important in the history of worship. And what I love about these psalms is how honest they are. They're honest about God. They're honest about what they feel about God. They're honest about the realities of life. The psalmist didn't shy away from describing life at its worst as well as life at its best. And I also love the fact that the Psalms are honest about people, about human life. You and I are complicated creatures, and the Psalms depict us in all of our uh, beauty and in all of our raw evil, and they just paint us very honestly. Psalm 43 is a Psalm that uh, paints us in, in our real, the way we really look. It's an unusual psalm because the first four verses of this psalm uh, show the psalmist talking to God. It's a prayer. And it's a weird prayer, kind of a selfish prayer, I think. But he ends up in verse 5, instead of talking to God, he ends up talking to himself. And that's where I get the title of this message, Talking to God and Myself. So let's read Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. Let's pray. Our Father, it's good that we talk with you. It's good that we talk with you after having read a psalm in which the writer talked to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from the prayer he prayed and the words he said, Not only to you, but also to himself. 
And speak to us, Lord, that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife Amanda says, I talk to myself. I don't know whether I talk to myself or not. I can't hear, so I can't hear myself talk to myself. Uh, I wear a hearing aid, so uh, some things, a lot of things, I, I don't hear. She says that I talk to myself, especially in the morning in the bathroom. I know that's exactly what you wanted to hear this morning. After I take a shower and start getting ready and fixing my hair and brushing my teeth and shaving, she says that I talk to myself. And evidently, I do it pretty loudly, as people with hearing problems tend to do, uh, because she'll be downstairs in the kitchen while I'm upstairs in the bathroom getting ready. And she will invariably come up to the bathroom and she'll say, who are you talking to? And I, I said, huh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm up here by myself. She said, well, you were talking to someone, and I didn't even realize I was talking to anybody. I couldn't hear it. Talking to yourself. She says, I talk to myself. Do you ever talk to yourself? I appreciate that very much. In the first service, I asked if anybody talked to themselves, and there was just a, a, a holy hush. Because there's a stigma with talking to yourself. People think that you're a little unstable. Uh, but I don't know that that's true. I, I think maybe there's some benefit to talking to yourself. Um, in reality, uh, talk, when I talk to myself, sometimes I'm talking to myself. I'll admit that. But there are other times when I'm by myself and I'm talking to myself. But really, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to somebody else. It's really good because sometimes I'm talking to friends, even though the friends aren't there. Sometimes I'm talking to enemies, but the enemies aren't there. My problem is, uh, because I don't hear well, I talk too loudly. That's all right if I'm in the bathroom and nobody else is in the house except for Amanda and her demon dog. But if I'm in the restaurant, but if I'm in a restaurant and I'm talking to myself, which I sometimes do, that really becomes a problem because she says, Jimmy, you don't realize how loudly you're speaking. People are hearing you. And especially, uh, she'll get up and she'll uh, go to the restroom or something. And I'm there in the restaurant. I'm talking to myself and I'm alone at the table. It doesn't look like a great thing to do. And she'll come back and she'll say, I heard you. Half the people in the restaurant heard you. But actually, talking to yourself can be quite beneficial. There, there are a lot of things you can work out to, by yourself. How many of you cut your own grass? Raise your hand. Do you cut your own grass? How many of you talk to yourself when you cut your own grass? Raise your hand. About half of you that cut your grass. The rest of you are lying. You're just lying. A lot of therapy talking to yourself, though. You can work out a lot of things. There are certain things that it's better that you say to yourself than for you to say to somebody else. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I read about a study. You know, they do studies about everything. And I, I read about a study where they took uh, several thousand participants, and there were two psychologists who conducted the study, and they were investigating to see whether or not there were benefits to talking to yourself. And I think there were like 18,000 people in this study, and they divided them up into two groups. And in front of each of those 18,000 people, they, they put 20 busy pictures. 
And when I'm talking about a busy picture, I'm talking about like one of those Where's Waldo pictures. Are you familiar with Where's Waldo? Where you're looking at this this, uh, picture and they're like, I don't know, a hundred different people and and objects and items on a page. But there's one Waldo. And your, your goal is to find Waldo. And it's very difficult to find Waldo. Well, these were 20 different pictures similar to the Where's Waldo pictures. But group one was told, as you look through these 20 pictures, there is one particular object that you are looking for, and you are to look for it without saying a word. Group two was assigned the same responsibility with one exception. They said, as you look through these 20 pictures, whatever the the object is you're looking for, you are to say it to yourself over and over and over again. And what they found at the end of the study was that consistently, the folks in group two who were saying the object to themselves over and over again, consistently found the object quicker than the folks in group one who didn't say anything. And they concluded that saying whatever it is you're looking for over and over to yourself helps you hone your focus And helps you find whatever it is quicker. So the next time you lose your keys, for instance, and as you're going through wherever you're going looking for them, say, keys, 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 keys. Where's my keys? Where's my keys? I was doing this yesterday, but it didn't work so well for me. I was watching television, watching one of the ball games, and I was thinking, touchdown, touchdown, get a touchdown, a touchdown, a touchdown. And they were getting no touchdown. Because the war eagles, war eagles. I know. In Psalm 43, the psalmist spends four verses talking to God. There's no doubt. You and I, there's no argument that it is good for us to talk with God. In verse 5, he talks to himself. Now, the thing about this psalm is that uh, we know that it's good to talk with God. Sometimes it's good to talk to ourselves, but I will tell you that that we can talk to God and we can talk to ourselves, and it can be fruitless. And this psalm actually, although there are different ways, different angles from which we can study psalms, there's a way in which we can study this psalm that, that lets us see how fruitless even talking with God can be. You see, talking with God and talking to ourselves is only as good as the content of our hearts as well as the content of our words because we can end up fooling ourselves. We can talk with God and end up fooling ourselves. And for the longest, that's what this psalmist did. It's almost like these five verses give us just a glimpse of his maturing process. He goes through these five verses and all the way through them, he's maturing. He starts out very selfish and he ends up very sane. I want to show you some things that this psalm teaches us about our own talk with God and our own talk to ourselves if you're among those who talk to yourselves. We can fool ourselves in our conversations with God and ourselves, in that we can act as though the whole world revolves around us. And this certainly happened with this psalmist. Notice verses 1 through 3. And in particular, I want you to notice the personal pronouns. And I'm going to emphasize these personal pronouns in these first three verses. 
Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Now, there's nothing really wrong with his request, except for it seems like, it just appears as though he's all about I, me, and my. It's almost like he's approaching God from the standpoint of, now, God, you do realize that the whole world revolves around me, and therefore, I want to talk to you about me and my situation, and I want you to plead my cause. Sometimes our prayers can be all about I, me, and my. I read an article recently entitled, How to Be Miserable. I thought I'd share it with you. I know you want to hear this. I know that you uh, got up this morning and thought, you know, I bet he's going to talk about how to be miserable. Like, we need to get there. And so I'm going to share with you part of this article. I won't read the whole thing. How to be miserable. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated, be suspicious, be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights, never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk. Isn't that a, quite a word, sulk? You ladies know what it is. That's kind of a word that you give your male counterparts. You sulk. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown them. Never forget a service you've rendered. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. How to be miserable. Someone else once said, the trouble with self-made men is that they too often worship their creator. We can act as though the world revolves around us. And actually, that was a centerpiece doctrine of the church in the early years, early centuries of Christianity. We literally thought that the whole universe revolved around the earth. And it wasn't just a universe belief, it was a, a, a relational, a spiritual, and emotional belief. And, and although we, for the most part, no longer believe that the universe revolves around the earth, let alone that the sun revolves around the earth, we still too often find ourselves believing that the world does revolve around us. Not only can we act as though the world revolves around us, but we can assure ourselves that we are right and everyone else is wrong. This writer did that. He was not only so full of himself, but he was convinced that everybody else was just wrong. Look again at verse, beginning with verse 1. Vindicate me, my God, and please plead my cause. Uh, to whom? Against an unfaithful nation. They're unfaithful. I'm faithful. Rescue me from who? From those who are deceitful and wicked. They're deceitful and wicked, not me. You are God my stronghold, but you've rejected me. Why are you rejecting me? 
Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? You see, everything out there was wrong, and everything out there was the enemy, and he himself was the only one who was right. It is obvious that in the mind of this psalmist, he was right and everybody else was wrong. He even seemed to be surprised when God himself appeared to reject him. We can assume, we can assure ourselves that we are right and everybody else is wrong. Number three, we can convince ourselves that God believes everything we believe and is therefore always on our side. This writer assumed that God agreed with him. Why do you reject me? You agree with me, I'm sure. So why do you reject me? You're on my side all the time. So why are you rejecting me? It is the assumption of this writer that God is always on his side and therefore agrees with everything he agrees with. The Bible has some news for us. There's so much that God disagrees with us on. There's so much about the, the, the mindset of Jesus, just read the Gospels, that disagrees with what many of us today hold to. We can convince ourselves that God is on our side. And guess what? He is. He is always on our side. He's always on your side. That's a great thing that I love to be able to say to people, God is always on your side. But, but we should never mistake God being on our side with God agreeing with us on everything. Because there's so much that is at odds with God in us. Not only can we convince ourselves that God believes or agrees with us on everything, but we can persuade ourselves that God is opening to, open to bargaining with us. We can actually believe that God uh, is, is open to a deal and we're Monty Hall. God, let's make a deal. That's what this psalmist did. Listen to what he said beginning with verse uh, 3 and going into verse 4. He says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. Let them bring me to the place where you dwell. Then, verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God. Do you hear this dealing, this bargaining? God, if you will do this for me, if you will bless my family, if you will give this to me, if you will, if you will give this to the folks I love, then I will approach you. Then I will do what you want me to do. It's almost like he's saying, look, God, if you do this for me, then, and perhaps only then, parenthetically, will I then do what you want for me to do. You see, he got it all backwards. If he had gotten it in the, in the order that it should have been, it, it would have gone something like this. He would have said this. He says, God, I'm going to approach your altar. I'm going to worship you. And, and as I worship you, if, if you send me your light and your faithful care, that's great. If they lead me down the paths of righteousness, that's awesome. If you bring me to your holy mountain and bring me to the place where you are, that's wonderful. But I want you to know that I will take the initiative and I will approach you first. I will come for you and worship first. And then, God, you're sovereign. Do with me what you will. But that's not the direction he came in. He came from the standpoint of, God, if you will bring me your light and your faithful care, if you will bring me to your holy mountain, if you will bless me, then I'll think about what I can do for you. 
But then after verse 4, he stops talking with God and he starts talking to himself. And it seems as though that his whole attitude begins to change where he stops talking with God and he starts talking to himself. Now, don't hear me saying that it's bad to talk with God. That's not the case. But he was very selfish as he was talking with God, as you and I are often very selfish when we talk with God. But when he came to verse number five, he stops talking with God. He starts questioning himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Now, you may have been raised like I was, that, you know, we have this body, and within us there is a soul. It's in that soul that you receive Christ. Actually, the Bible teaches us that uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 2, that God created Adam, and then he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's not so much that we contain a soul, so much as it is that we are one. And it is in our whole being, the soul that we are, that we receive the Lord Jesus or we reject him, that we embrace his ways or we reject his ways. But here he's talking to himself. And he's not unstable. But he's talking loud enough that we can hear it because when we hear him saying words to himself, we also hear what we need to say to ourselves. Why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within yourself, he says? Put your hope in God. You see, we, we can be selfish. We can think the world revolves around us or we can come to the same conclusion that this psalmist did in verse 5 where he's, he came to the realization that his problems weren't out there in them or in him, or in her. The, the problems he had were here, in himself. My worst enemy is not out there, or out there, it's in here. Your worst enemy is not the person across the way from you, or the person who disagrees with you, or the person at odds with you. Your worst enemy is within you. And that is the reason why God sent his son to die for us. Because Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross in order to save us from ourselves. To come within us so that there is, is a, a uh, not just a balance within us, but there is a more powerful spirit within us with, when we receive Jesus that helps us overcome the world. You see, one of the problems in our world today is that we're playing such a blame game. Everybody else out there is to blame. Listen, I'm to blame. Look at yourself. You're to blame. We've got enough. It's, it's like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. He says, he says why would you look at, your, at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and try to clean that out when you have a big old log, a big cross tie in your own eye? He says, you're a hypocrite if you do that. He says, first take the cross tie out of your own eye, and then maybe you'll, you'll see clearly enough to clean the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. fact of the matter is, at least with myself, when I clean the cross tie out of my own eye, I find out I don't have enough time left to clean anybody else's. We can be so full of ourselves. D.L. Moody, the 1800s evangelist, said this. He says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Roy D. Lamott was chaplain of Payne College in Georgia many years ago. And as chaplain, he would preach 
at certain times in the chapel of the college, and at one point he preached what turned out to be the shortest sermon ever preached in that college's chapel, and yet it had the longest title of any sermon that had ever been preached in that chapel. The title of the sermon was this, what does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? And I want you to repeat that back for me right now. What does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? And the entire sermon was one word, nothing. And he said that one word, and then he paused, and he prayed. Later on, he explained that the one-word sermon was meant for people brought up in the gimme, gimme, gimme gospel. And then somebody else asked him, they said, well, we appreciate that short sermon. All of you appreciate short sermons. Already some of you are thinking this one could have been a whole lot shorter. <laughs> somebody came up to him and said, man, I appreciate that short sermon. How long did it take you to prepare that thing? And he said, 20 years. 20 years. Have you talked to yourself lately? Has it, has it brought you to grips with who you are and who God is? Let's pray. What a privilege it is, O oh Lord, to talk with you. Forgive us for monopolizing our conversations so many times. So many times we do all the talking and we don't stop and let you talk back. Forgive us also, Lord, when we pray and it's all about us. The world revolves around us. Bless us. Help us in the face of our enemies. Everybody else is an enemy. Help us to realize, Lord, that our biggest enemies are not outside of us. Our biggest enemies are in us. And Lord, I pray for those who are battling that spiritual enemy and that yet they've never invited you to be their Savior and their Lord. It's always our prayer, Lord, that someone will come to receive Christ in our worship services. It doesn't always happen. But boy, it's such a delight when it does. Because we know, Lord, that receiving you is the most important decision we'll ever make in our lives. So God, I pray that you'd help us defeat the enemies in our lives that are working within us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.